whenever as a younger Christian, I was being taught about prayer, I was taught to think about it accurately with the help of an acrostic, which is actually one of the books of the Bible. The acrostic is the word Acts, the book called Acts of the Apostles. And in that word, you have the first element of prayer, which is adoration. Secondly, confession. Thirdly, thanksgiving. And fourthly, supplication. And I think that most people, even if you stop someone randomly on the street and ask them to define the first three words, adoration, confession, and thanksgiving, they could probably do pretty well. Uh, but I think most people, and perhaps some Christians, would struggle if they were asked to define supplication. But it's simply a part of prayer, and a very important part of prayer. If you think of the examples we have in the scriptures of those who were devoted to prayer, you perhaps would think of Daniel, who we read in Daniel 6 and 11, that he was found praying and making supplication before his God. And the Apostle Paul instructed Christians in Philippians 4, verse 6, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Perhaps you would wonder, why is supplication a distinct part of prayer? Well, the word supplicate comes from a Latin word that means implore, and it means to, uh, to seek from below to find satisfaction. Jesus Christ made supplication. Hebrews 5 verse 7, who in the days of his flesh, when he offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard. So here's the essence of what supplication is. A person who pleads with God for his grace and presents the deepest concerns of his or her heart. It's distinct from adoration and confession and thanksgiving. And I believe that when we read Psalm 123, we essentially see this character of supplication. Now, maybe in your Bible or on your, your app, wherever you're looking, you'll see that the psalm is titled A Song of Degrees. And so I want to leave a few thoughts with you about the song of supplication. You can think of it as four notes in the song of supplication, if that helps you to remember this. The first thing we find in the true supplicant, the one who prays scripturally, prays as Daniel did and as the Lord Jesus Christ did, is a note of lowliness. Lowliness, because verse one says, unto thee, lift I up mine eyes, O thou that dwellest in the heavens. And true supplication is issued from below. A person who is truly supplicating God will not come to him proudly. They won't come to him presumptuously, but they'll admit their own lowliness. And they'll recognize that the one to whom they come is the one who dwells in the heavens. That word dwellest in verse 1, O thou that dwellest in the heavens, has the sense of being seated, and it pictures God for us in his place of residence. If you think about where you live, and all the people on earth, and the finest houses you've ever seen, and the people who were most secure behind bars, behind walls, no one is secure in the sense of the residence of God. He is seated in the heavens. Nothing gives him concern. Nothing disturbs his plans for you as his children. Psalm chapter two, Psalm two, verse four says, he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. So all of us in comparison to God are lowly. We spend our days going around working, dealing, doing this and that. But God is seated in the heavens. He's at rest. He's unchallenged. He is the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity. And in comparison to him, we are lowly and we need to recognize that if we will truly come and make supplication to him. The second element of supplication is loyalty. You'll find this 
in verse 2, where we have two pictures. I'll read the verse. Behold, as the eyes of servants look unto the hand of their masters, and as the eyes of a maiden unto the hand of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God until that he have mercy upon us. The supplicant who is lowly will demonstrate loyalty to God by keeping their eyes on him and coming to him. And the examples that we're given can be enlarged upon when we search through the Bible and we find, first of all, an example of a good servant and then an example of a maiden who served a mistress. The servant, and I won't turn to this passage for, for time's sake, but perhaps later you might like to look in Genesis 24 and read about the servant of Abraham, whom Abraham sent into the land where he was brought up to find a wife for his son Isaac. And when you read that passage, it's really remarkable how loyal the servant was. He is almost unable to speak without speaking about his master. It's almost every second sentence that he says in that passage mentions Abraham. He's constantly referring to his master. He's so loyal. He's so attentive. And he does exactly what Abraham asked him to do. And there's a challenge there for us that we should represent our master as well as this man did. And we should be loyal to God and to the Lord Jesus Christ, just as he was loyal to Abraham. And then the second picture in Psalm 123, verse 2, is as the eyes of a maiden onto the hand of her mistress. And that made me think of the little Israelite maid in 2 Kings 5, who was captured as a prisoner of war by the general Naaman, a great soldier. And she was brought into Naaman's home and she served Naaman's wife. And then we read about how Naaman had leprosy. And even though this little girl was an Israelite, she was in the home really of her enemies. And she was being held there as a captive. She was totally loyal to her mistress. She didn't spare her mistress or her, her mistress's husband, Naaman, any kindness. She advised them where they could find help for Naaman's leprosy. And that's just a wonderful picture of loyalty. So as Christians... As it says in Romans 6, that ye were the servants of sin, and then it goes on, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. We are blessed to be the servants of righteousness, and it's the role of a servant to wait upon the master. And so when we come to God in prayer to supplicate his throne of grace and to bring our requests before him, we need to recognize our lowliness and we need to come loyally. And that is exemplified very well by what you do on this call every day, I believe. Most days anyway. And that's a loyalty in prayer that God will not, that will not go unnoticed by God. And I commend you for that, to be loyal to God in prayer, because true supplication is not coming to God once every so often when we find ourselves in trouble. True supplication is loyal, daily prayer. This third note that I want to bring to you in the song of supplication is a note of lament, or you could say lamentation. Maybe that's a little more grammatically correct. You'll find this in verse three and four. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorning of those that are at ease and with the contempt of the pride. And here is someone who comes to God and they're not praying uh, absent-mindedly. They're not praying out of fashion. They're not praying mechanically. This is heartfelt prayer. This is a lament. The child of God pours out the deepest concerns of his or her soul. He confesses to God here. The psalmist confesses to God that his soul is exceedingly filled. And that literally means saturated with contempt and with scorning. He's 
suffering from contempt of his enemies. And the psalm describes the enemies of this man as being scornful and at ease. You could think of people who are derisive. They're prosperous. They have no major concerns. And they they heap scorn on the Christian. And I don't know if that is your experience. You might find that in your workplace or even in your family, that people are scornful towards you for your faith. That is something that we bring to the Lord when we make supplication before him. The enemies are also described as those who are proud and contemptuous. And I think with the help of commentators that this refers to the people in this world whom we naturally admire, the rich and the powerful and the influential. And we struggle with the desire for popularity. We struggle with the desire to be like those people or to be liked by them. But often as Christians, that's not the case. And again, we need to bring this to the Lord in prayer. Our loneliness, our struggles, the persecution that we find, we need to bring it to the Lord in prayer. And we can lament before him about all of these things because that's the pattern that's shown to us here in this psalm. Let me bring this to a close with one final thought. We've seen in the song of supplication, there's a note of lowliness and of loyalty and of lament. And then finally, there's a note of longing because he says three times in the psalm, have mercy upon us. This is the God, the one true and living God to whom the psalmist comes and cries for mercy. And our God is the one who offers mercy to those who seek him. Uh, Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. Our God is the Lord God, merciful and gracious. And it's my joy to be able to testify that at a time in my life, I obeyed the words of Isaiah, seek ye the Lord while he may be found, call ye upon him while he is near. And the promise is that God will have mercy upon him. God will have mercy upon you who has sought the Lord for salvation. And so it should be our constant longing that God would continue to be merciful to us and to our family and our, our countries. Countries that, as the world seems to become increasingly sinful and selfish, really, really need the mercy of God. We need God to be merciful to us in that global sense. And so we do well today to come to the Lord with our requests, with the deepest needs of our heart, those things that you feel comfortable and appropriate sharing with your brothers and sisters on this call. Remember, brothers and sisters, that we do not pray alone. Jesus Christ is described in Hebrews 7.25 as the one who ever lived, ever liveth to make intercession for us. And even as he prays right now, as, as we pray, he prays right now, and he has also given us his Holy Spirit, who itself makes intercession. And we are encouraged by these things. We want to take the example of the psalmist and to make supplication to God today and to bring our needs before him, to ask him to intervene and to be merciful to us, to our families, to our work colleagues, to those who don't know Jesus Christ as their savior, and to come and to move and to do a work and bring many souls into his kingdom. I hope these thoughts have been a blessing to you. I hope you could understand my accent, although I've been told it's not too strong. And let me thank you again for taking time today and for the privilege of being here. Thank you.